seated. Well, tonight we are continuing on our study of the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And tonight, uh, you know, after last week, Paul talking about all the troubles and all the struggles that they went through as apostles trying to share the gospel uh, in, in the various locations, how he was pressed down, beat down, crushed, but not destroyed, and God always was there with him in that. And that he has, we have, God has put this gospel in earthen vessels. You know, ordinary uh, human beings, ordinary clay pots, as the Bible calls us, uh, we have this treasure in us. And so this week, at the beginning of this lesson, he jumps back to something, those of you who haven't been with us, he jumped back to something now that centers around that theme of the resurrection. Uh, something that we covered back in 1 Corinthians, about chapter 15, where he make that point and he drills it in uh, about the significance of the resurrection. And so now he kind of tied that into his concept of telling us that, you know, once we come to the Lord, once we give our life to Christ, then there's an expectation that we see ourselves as new creation. We, we, we are not the same person that we were. You know, physically, yes, our toes the same, look the same. You know, we used to sing songs, you know, I, I got saved, I looked at my hands, they looked new, looked at my feet, they did too, or there was lies, ain't nothing changed there. And ain't nothing changed in the, in the physical. You know, if you had, you know, funny looking toes, yesterday they, you got saved, they still funny looking toes. So, but, but what is supposed to happen with us is, is not so much a, a, a physical change as it is a spiritual change. Something's supposed to take place on the inside of us, in our hearts, in our minds. And that's why the Bible always challenges us uh, when we come to the Lord to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So if our minds don't change, then we won't change. And change starts in our mind. So tonight, when you start talking about this, you have to kind of keep that concept of the resurrection in mind and how he see our bodies now as we're saved and how we're supposed to function as new creation in Christ. Then he will transition and then make it practical by talking about how we ought to see ourselves as ambassadors for the Lord here on earth. Meaning that, you know, we represent God in earth. And so we look at this as we're on assignment down here to do a job, but we take orders from a higher source. And so that, and, and that's the mindset we want to get there. So in, in verse 1, he starts off by saying, and, and I'll read from the New Living Translation, for we know that when this earthly tent, now when he talks about earthly tent, that's what he's talking about. Your body. Okay, he's talking about this earthly tent, this body, compared it to something that's transitory, that's temporary. And if you understand biblical, during that time when they used to travel with the tents, they had tabernacles, they put it up, it was a temporary fixture. It wasn't something that was permanent. So he says that, that we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. So he's saying, going back to his concept of the resurrection, that at some point in time, this body, physical body, when we die, at some point in time, it's going to be replaced with a new body. And, and, and this plan for us having new bodies is something that God had in plan from the beginning. It was always part of God's plan. Now, the problem with this is because this talk futuristic and talk about things that we have not seen, most of this we have to accept by faith because even theologians disagree on 
what does this new body concept look like? You know, is it going to be the same physical body like this? Is it going to be a spiritual body? But it, the, what we're going to understand uh, from tonight is that it, it's going to have, it's not going to be something invisible, okay? But the key thing is that no matter how we see it, the truth that we have to wrap our mind around is that one day, whenever God says so, we're going to all get up. How, when, and all the other things can be debated for centuries and never come to an agreement. But we all agree that one day, if you die in the Lord, you're going to get up. That's enough for me. And, I, and I'll share with some of these thoughts and beliefs as we go on. So he says now, we grow, in verse 2 and 3, he says, we grow weary in our present bodies, because it's physical, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. So he's making this, con this, this comparison that what the body that we will receive after it's all said and done is, is going to be like taking off one set of clothing and put on a new set of clothing. Now, when Jesus was raised from the dead, you know that he came back in some type of bodily form, but the disciples did not recognize him at first. When he was walking down the road with the guys, they did not recognize it. It was only when they went into the room with him and had a conversation with him, and he started talking. They said, hey, this sounds familiar. Then he made it clear who he was. So, so with that as an analogy, when Jesus was raised, he had some type of body. Now, it ain't worth debating trying to figure out what type of body, because it don't make no difference. Amen? But, but we can agree that he was raised from the dead because that's a found fundamental truth of the gospel. So he says now, so, so we don't grow weary, and we grow weary in our present bodies, and we long for our heavenly bodies like new clothing. Look at this verse 3. Says, for he says, for we will not, for we will put on heavenly bodies, we will not be spirits without bodies. So that means that whatever God has in store, it's going to be something that ain't going to be just a spirit. It's going to be some type of heavenly body. What it's going to look like, obviously it's not going to look like this earthly body like we see now because we know that this body is going to go back to the dust one way or the other. Whether you cremated and go back to the dust or you die and just go in the grave, you're going back to... Because it's clear, we came from dust, and we're going back to dust. But there is a part of us that God breathed into man, the spirit, and that spirit part lives on. The fleshly part of man, we die, we, we, die, we go back to dust. And so therefore, knowing our spirit lives on, then now I'm believing that at some point in time, that spirit that lives on is going to be connected to another body of some sort. That makes sense to everybody? You know, this ain't something we got to argue about because this is something that everybody don't agree on and everybody don't understand it because, again, in the natural, these things that Paul are writing don't make sense to our natural mind. It don't, it don't, it just don't connect. And so because it don't connect, that's why we have to walk by faith and not by sight. We, we can't just live by what we see. We got to learn to live by things that we have not seen and trust God when it comes to things we've not seen. He says, now look, in verse 4, he says, 
while we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. But it is not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. So every day that you live, you get closer to dying. You know, we think we're counting up, but really you're counting down. <laughs> Amen. You count down. And so you're closer today than you was yesterday. And, and, and for some of us, we're in the fourth quarter of the game. And so when we understand that, that kind of changed the way we look at life. So, so to the young people in here, and you're under 40 and all that, I tell you, don't take for granted those years now because you're going to be 60 before you know it. And when you get there, you're going to find, where did all those years go? And the sad thing is that knowing that, you can't get them back. So you better make the best of them right now as you're going in that direction. Because sometimes we can be disillusioned and think that, oh, man, time is just gone. Nope. Time ain't waiting on nobody. And so when we understand that, then we have a, a better appreciation of how we want to live this life that God has placed us in, this, in the world in, and we want to live it in a way that's going to bring glory and honor to him. That's what he's going to kind of get to here in a minute. He says, he says in verse 5, God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. God already had a plan that when we died, that was going to be something better. And he gave us the Holy Spirit, which is on the inside of us, as a guarantee. That was God's down payment to us that, hey, what the promises that I made to you, you can bank on. And one day, because you have the Holy Spirit in you, then I'm going to pay that debt in full. And so when you look at this, the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of you, and if you're saved, whether you know it or not, God's Spirit dwells in you. When you got saved, he came in you because Christ said he was going to send us back a comforter. So the Spirit of God lives in all of us. It's just a matter of if we are really feeding what's on the inside of us or we still feeding our natural man. Because if we're feeding the natural part of us more than the spiritual part of us, then the Holy Spirit can lie in you and be dormant. Because you're not giving him the things that he needs to grow and to strengthen you and to help you navigate your way through life. You can't walk successfully as a Christian in this life without the power of the Holy Spirit. Because flesh is just too strong. Amen. I would say true. Flesh is just too strong and flesh don't play fair. Don't care if you're saved. Don't care if you love Jesus. Don't care if you even prayed this morning. If you don't crucify flesh every day, flesh will rise up from the dead. Meaning that some of those old things that you say, I'm never going to do that. It, it, it's in you. It's still there. And if you let your guard down, it'll come up. And you wonder, how in the world did I get back to that? Because flesh don't play fair. So we have to win these battles every day, and we have to understand that God has given us his spirit for a reason, to help us navigate our way through this life after we become that new creation. 
The, the sad thing that, that makes it difficult is that when it, we say that we want to change, change don't happen overnight. It's a process. And, and, and the thing is, God did not come up with a cookie-cutter formula where we all change and grow at the same rate or the same pace or at the same speed, how we want to look at that. And because of that, we grow differently. And it, it, a lot of it has to do with what you're doing now. What do you know about God's word? What do you put in your spirit so that that Holy Spirit on the inside of you will grow and start ministering to you and help you navigate life? And, and we study God's word so that when life situation rise up, we hope that the spirit will bring back to our remembrance what the word of God said we should do in a given situation. But that don't happen overnight. So he says, now look, he gave us the spirit of the as a guarantee. So we are always confident, verse 6, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. For we live by believing and not by seeing. So that's why some parts, some Bibles say to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. The way he wrote that has caused a lot of discussion. So that makes people want to know what happens when you physically die. When you take your last breath, what happened to that part of you that's going to live forever? Different beliefs out there. Some believe that, hey, when you die, the Spirit of God is going to leave you and it's going to go back to where it came from, heaven. Some believe that it's going to leave, but it ain't going to heaven yet. It's going to go in a holding pattern until the second coming of Christ. Others believe that you're in some kind of suspended state, whether you're either here nor there, and, you know, when you come back, you may get caught, and then some believe that, okay, if you're the bad person, you're already gone. You may, you're in Hades right now. Your spirit in Hades, so Hades is another way they say hell in the Bible. But, but they argue about that. I go by what Jesus told the guy on the cross. When he was about to die, he said, look here. Today, you will be with me in paradise. So now, whether paradise is heaven or some suspended location out there, we waiting until it all come back, don't make me no difference. I won't argue with you, whichever belief you want to go by, but as long as Jesus is there, I'm in good shape. That's all that matters to me. As long as he's there, whether it's heaven, paradise, or in a hole in pattern. But, you know, I know the Catholic believe, and some of you may have been in the Catholic faith, and you heard the terminology of purgatory, where they believe that, you know, Major was a decent guy. He came to Mass and took confession on Fridays or whatever, but he still wasn't living 100% right. So Major don't get a free pass in heaven. He kind of go over here to this holding area called purgatory, and while he's dead and waiting, his best friend, Bolden, can be praying for him now. And believe I keep praying for him, somehow God's going to look past how he died and let him on in. He didn't send him to hell, but he just put him over in this holding. And that's where you get the term purgatory from, and that's pretty much taught in Catholicism. Okay? But again, theology... That is not that important unless you want to study theology. What you need to hear tonight is that, hey, 
If you got the spirit of God on the inside of you, when you die, your spirit is going somewhere. And if that means going to be with Christ, then you accept that. And at some point in time, you're going to receive a resurrected body. What it may look like, I can't stand here and tell you I know. And that's why when we get to passages like this in the Bible, I don't try to debate people because this has nothing to do with your salvation. This is just, you know, good knowledge and understanding how we believe that the resurrection is going to play out when it comes to the word of God. So that's why he says in verse 7, for we live by believing. So some Bible said we live by faith and not by sight. If you got to see it to believe it, then you don't have faith for it. And if you can see it already, you don't really need to have faith because you already see it and you're probably going to believe it because you see it. And so I tell a lot of times when the Bible talks about faith, it is trying to get us to believe something that we have not seen. I always use the example. Christians talk about heaven all the time. But none of us have been there. And contrary to what folks used to say, grandmama didn't come back and tell me what it was like. Some people say grandmama came back and told me, well, that didn't happen to me. So what I know about heaven is what I've read in God's word. And because I believe that God's word is the truth, then I act like heaven is real to me. I don't talk about it as if I'm confused, don't think that God is going to have a place for No, I'm believing that it is real. So therefore, I believe that by faith, not by seeing heaven. And so therefore, a lot of things that we do in this life, we have to trust God by faith. And sometimes that is the hardest thing to do, but God gave all of you a measure of faith. He put something on the inside of you where you already believe stuff you have not seen. Amen. We believe every day. People got us questioning whether or not they even walked on the moon. But I just saw a picture. Looked like the moon to me. Could have been Arizona. But somebody told me that was the moon. So if, I, if somebody asked me, have we ever walked on the moon? Yes, we did. Why? Because I believe that by faith. I didn't go up that with him this year, but I believe what I saw was the facts. Well, there's some people out there saying, no, that was, that was a hoax. You know, they just went out there in them desert places. You know, they got all them sites out there. They, they do some crazy stuff out there. They just made you think they was on the moon. Well, I won't debate you whether you believe in the moon or not. But the bottom line is, you already had a capacity to believe some things you have not seen. I use your birthday. You got a birth certificate. You don't know when you were born. Somebody told you that. They could have put the wrong date on there. And you walking around like it's the truth. I was born on November the 7th. <laughs> oh, who told you that? Well, somebody wrote it down. And so the point I'm trying to make in a simple way is that we already believe things we have not seen. If we believe American history and now they're changing and revising it, you believe some stuff you have not seen. And even though it was wrong with Columbus, 
I, I just learned the other day, Major, they're going to change to in, Indigenous Day or something like that. <laughs> it ain't Columbus Day no more. Okay, well, Indigenous Day, okay, for all these years, you've been making me think Columbus discovered America. And I've been answering test questions. Columbus discovered America in 1490. I ain't seen none of that. But every time that was on a test, that's the answer that I gave by faith. And it came back correct. And now they tell me he didn't even make it here in 1492. So, so, so what I'm, the point I'm trying to make in a simple way, you already believe stuff you have not seen. And so because of that, God is saying when it comes to him, we got to trust him and believe some things we have not seen. And because of that, look at this verse 8, he says, it causes us to be confident. He says, yes, we are fully confident, and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. That's kind of going back to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. Verse 9 says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Whether you hear or away, at the end of the day, as a child of God, we want to please God. To the best of our ability, based upon what we know about him, what we've been taught, we want to please him. Because, here's why. Verse 10, for we must all stand before Christ to be judged. This has nothing to do with your salvation. This is not talking about whether or not you're going to heaven or hell. This is talking about You've already accepted the Lord as your Lord and Savior. Therefore, we're going to believe that that part of Scripture is true. You're heaven bound. But once you get there, we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, and we will receive rewards. We're going to receive whatever we deserve for the good or evil we have done in this earthly body. In other words, there's going to be a day of accountability where we've got to say, stand before him, and everything we've, been, we've done, good or bad, we're going to give an account. Some say that means that when the Bible talks about rewards and crowns and things of that nature, you're going to be rewarded based upon how you lived after you got saved. Your salvation will get you in even if you still live in a certain way because you believe by faith. So that gets you in the door. But then now once we start walking by faith, then we've got to start living in a way that's consistent with God's word to the best of our ability. And he's saying that how you live will be judged. You're going to have to give accountable, accountability one day. And, and, and what we have to know is that God gave us a helper in the Holy Spirit to help us live in a way that would be pleasing to him. He didn't leave us without help. He gave us something that can aid us and that can, can, can assist us because he knows that this flesh that we live in is going to always war against our spirit. That war that's on the inside of you never stops. It don't care that you guys say. It's a constant battle. And the thing is that what happens is, is that things that you used to do is still registered on this database, this hard drive, whatever you got of it. Some of that stuff is still there. And there could be little things that would trigger certain things in you, and you'll wonder, how did I get back to that? It never left you. You have to crucify that every day. And so when we walk in this journey, on this journey that we're on, that's why we have to walk and be led by the 
spirit and not by the flesh. Because the spirit is going to try to get us to do the things that pertain to God. Amen? So now he starts to transition in here in verse 11 and start building the case for us as ambassadors. And this will be a little bit easier to talk to and I can ask some questions. So look at here. He says, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. Wow. Y'all got to get that. So Paul is saying there is nothing wrong with you being a little bit afraid of God. Godly fear, a reverential fear. You know, sometimes people look at fear as a negative thing, but there's sometimes fear is good. It works to your advantage. It's good that we're fearful when we're flying in an airplane and we know we're not going to jump out of that airplane without a parachute. Fear keep you in there. I mean, I mean, fear gonna keep you in there. Fear keep us from walking out in front of traffic and get, to get hit. So that's some good fear. So he's saying now, think of this like this. Then every now and then, you ought to have a fearful respect for God because of your relationship with him. Kind of almost like we had a, when we were coming up, if our parents were involved in our lives at all, in any kind of way where they disciplined and corrected us, we had a somewhat of a fearful respect for them. There were certain things I would not do in front of my daddy or my mama. They loved me, but I had a certain reverence and respect for them in their company. Even when I got grown, there were still certain things I would not do in front of my parents. And so he's saying, now look, even though we're saved now, we have this reverential fear that there are certain things we just don't want to do in front of God. And if we do certain things in front of God that are not consistent, then that's why he said, okay, the Spirit got to convict us and we got to repent. Say, God, I'm sorry. Because he knows sometimes we can get beside ourselves and then we can do some things in front of God. Because we believe that God is everywhere and see everything, so therefore we have to have this level of reverential fear. So he said, now look, because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. God knows we are sincere, and I hope you know this too. Paul said, look, I got an assignment from God. All of you, if you're, you're saved, and God has placed something on your heart to do in ministry, to serve him in some way, you got to understand that that is an assignment from God to you. And when it comes to you carrying out that assignment, you got to have a certain level of reverence and fear that if I don't do what God's telling me to do, there could be some consequences. But we don't look at life like that. So therefore, I believe that's why a lot of people are sitting on their gifts in church because they don't have a reverence for God to say, if God gave me this gift, he has an expectation that I'm going to use it, so therefore that level of fear, hey, I don't want God to be angry at me because I'm sitting down on what he blessed me to be able to do. But if we have no fear of God, it don't mean nothing. Because most of the time, it's easier to preach just God loves us, God loves us, but like a good parent, every now and then, God will get our attention. I mean, any good parent is going to get that child's attention in various ways, but God is no different. So what we have to understand is that 
we, whatever we think God is calling us to do, we ought to feel like we have a responsibility to do it in a way that please him, but at the same time, we want to, people that see us do it to know that we are sincere. If he got to tell us that God knows that we are sincere, that means that there are certain things that certain people can do, and they're not doing it in sincerity. So sincerity has to do with, you know, what is your heart like? What, 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 what is your motivation for doing the things that you do for the Lord? Are you sincere? Are you committed to the things that you say you're going to do for the Lord? And he says, now, Major, when you're sincere before God, then your sincerity ought to show up before me. I ought to be able to see just how sincere you are to the Lord by the way you reverence and respect him and the way you carry out the assignments that he has given you. And that's, a, you know, that, that makes you think. That means that we ought to give God our best effort. We shouldn't just haphazardly do things just because I'm doing it for the Lord. No. We should give him the same respect that you give your job. I mean, unless you just slack and sorry. I mean, that's my granddaddy talking right there. You know, he used to call us sorry. <laughs> granddaddy, granddaddy was quick to call you sorry. You know what I mean? It took me a long time. You're just sorry. I mean, that, my granddaddy, I, he, you know, he, he taught me one thing. He taught me a good work ethic, but it didn't start there. Because he had to call me sorry a whole lot of time before I figured out granddaddy wanted me to work hard. Granddaddy wanted me to have the same work ethic that he got. He woke me up at 4 o'clock in the morning when the rooster crow, and he wanted me working all day, and when the sun go down, he wanted me in the bed. Granddaddy expected that. So what, what he did, when he put that work ethic in me, when I came into the military, whatever I do, I'm going to try my best to give it my best effort. I wasn't as sharp as tacking the box with everything I did, but I will outwork most folks. You know, you may have more natural gifts than me, but you ain't gonna, most folks ain't going to outwork me. Because granddaddy put that in me, and so now when I got saved, I didn't come to God. I worked hard for granddaddy. <laughs> now God, guess what? You know, you get, you get what you get. No. No. God got to get the same effort. Amen. Y'all all say amen right there now. You, you can't work hard for the government then when you come to work for God. Oh. Sunday again. Major got me on the schedule to usher again. Oh, man. Oh, Lord. You can't have that attitude. Because we have attitude like that, it makes it look like we're not sincere about the things that we're doing for God. And God wants our hearts to be pure and sincere as we work for him so that our motives will be right for the things that we do. He says, in verse 12, he says, we are not commending ourselves to you again. Now, those of you that have been around for a while know that commending, uh, Major Hunt, you say, what does commending mean to you? When you somebody says, I've got to commend myself to you. You know, letters of commendation and all that. You remember that from previous chapters. What, what, just explain that real quick for us, if you can. Get a mic. Or before you appear somewhere, I've got to send a letter saying, hey, Pastor Bolden is a good guy. I've got to kind of send a letter of recommendation for you before you come. Okay. And, and so what it was, like, and some churches still do this now. You know, if you leave striving and you went to another church that requires some type of 
letter of recommendation or letter of commendation, meaning that you may have been singing in our choir here, you may have been a leader in the church here, and that new church may say, hey, well, we ain't going to just take your word for it. So your pastor needs to send a letter saying that you were a faithful worker in his church while you were there, then now we'll believe that you're going to be a faithful worker over here. Now, we don't do that as travel. We don't ask folks for letters when they come and join the church here at all. But some churches in the Baptist, when I was in the Baptist church, you had to have a letter. They would ask you when you joined, do you come by letter? Do you come by faith? Do you come by water? You had all these different ways you can come. And letter meant that, hey, I'm coming from another church, and my pastor gave me a letter saying I'm a good guy. And Paul is saying, now that you know me, I don't need to be giving you a letter. I started the ministry. You remember that conversation? So do I need to give you a letter if I'm the one that started the ministry there and taught you the ministry? So he's saying, now look, we're not coming back again talking about letters commending ourselves. He says, no, we are giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry rather than having a sincere heart. Wow. Again, you got to understand what is going on here. There was this allegation that Paul was not a true apostle, was not real, and therefore the false teacher was coming against him. So therefore they were saying, hey, he came here, he didn't have no letter, he ought to have a letter. Everybody else got to have a letter. Paul said, I don't need no letter, but I'm not saying this to brag because I don't want you to think I'm boasting. You know, Paul never wanted to boast about what he did, even though he did quite a bit. He never wanted to boast about what he did. But he says, those other guys go around boasting about having spectacular ministry than having a sincere heart. In other words, there are a lot of people who are in ministries for the wrong reasons. You can be in ministry, but your heart may not be in ministry. And so if your motives and your reason for doing it is not sincere and not pure, then it's probably better that you don't do it, that you don't do it. You know, sometime now, God, I hate to talk about the church like that, but it's just real. You know, sometimes the church looks just like the street game. Some of the same games that you run across in the street, those same games end up in the church. A lot of preachers came out the streets. And so therefore, they understand how the street work and how the street mind work. And you can take some of that same mindset tied to a couple of scriptures, and you can take advantage of people who are ignorant. That's why when you come to church here, we try to say, open up the Bible and read it for yourself. I've been doing this long enough to just be able to get up here and pontificate. I know enough about Jesus just to get up here and talk. I know how to read the newspaper and tie the newspaper into a sermon and all that without studying. I could do that. But then I would be doing a disservice to God because I'm always learning. I'm always learning. And so therefore, when you're always learning, you hunger and thirst after the things of God, God will fill you if you hunger and thirst. So therefore, we don't have ministry, don't do ministry from an insincere heart. If you're going to be an usher at the door, Man, do it from the right heart. If you're going to sing in the choir, do it from the right heart. Do it from sincerity. Anything that you're going to do for the Lord, do it from the right heart, from the right motivation. So that when things don't always go your way, then you won't take your ball and go home. 
Amen. Because I'm doing it from the right heart. And so that's what God expects of us. He expects us to do things from the right heart. Whether you're in ministry at the level that I'm at, a pastor, a teacher, whatever, or if you're just the usher on the door, or you're serving in the kitchen tonight. They got to do that from the right heart. Because if they don't, then they can have an excellent meal, but their heart can make it, yeah. So it comes down to when we do things for the Lord, you got to do things from the right heart, from the right motivation. We got to have a sincere heart. Go, go ahead, Brother Kerr. I uh, came across uh, another revelation to me to open my eyes as you uh, and what Paul is signifying being a Christian and not only being a Christian that you do everything that you for, for the Lord you, you stress that so much and one of the things that that came across my mind and to me is everything that shown to me, I'm giving God the glory. And when I say giving God the glory to a point where it just signified to me that God has come into my life and shown me and now be able to show others that there is a real God in me, within me. And with that precious uh, revelation to me to be able to walk and do all the things that, uh, that God's calling me to do because whatever comes in my way or how I walk this walk, I give God the glory because he's giving me blessings to a point that he shows to me that he is to be glorified. That's, that's the point I'm trying to, to, to establish. And if, if you can't, uh, if you don't stand by that, God don't, there will be no glory before you. And God cannot show himself to others to who he is. That's the point I'm trying to establish. That you have that revelation to me that shows me so much love to say whatever comes my way, God will show his glory to others. And that's what it comes to when it says, they'll know who you are by your love. Amen. Well, you know, Jesus told his disciples that, you know, one way that the world would know us is by the love that we have for one another. The Bible always admonishes us that we do all things to the glory of God. We want, we want to make sure that he get the honor. He, he get the credit. Yeah, he used us, and, we, and that's okay. If God bless us with talents and skills that we can do some great things, but we got to always give him, acknowledge him for what he's doing in our life. And that's why now he's getting popular, and I hope, I hope the athletes are sincere because I can't question their motive, but I see more and more guys now when they do something on television, they're acknowledging God. Used to be a time athletes would never do that. They didn't want to stand out, you know, back in the day, but now more and more God, guys are starting to acknowledge their faith 
even though they're professional athletes or entertainers and things of that nature, because I don't think God got a problem with you being a football player, baseball player, basketball player. He just wants you to give him the glory. Right. And so anything that we do, we can do all to his glory. We can carry ourselves in a way around the other players that they will know that there's something different about us, even though we have to interact with them, we go out with them and do some of the things that, you know, that is not necessarily evil as far as God is concerned. We don't isolate ourselves from the world, but we have to carry ourselves a certain way in the world. Okay? And, and so when we look at this, now he, that goes kind of leads into what we're talk, going to be talking about here in a minute when you talk about now how we live as ambassadors, how we see ourselves when we look at ourselves as an ambassador. He says now, but before he says that, after he made that comment about having a sincere heart, Finley, you know, when you get, you know, when you really get sold out for the Lord and get sincere, some folk may think you're crazy. You don't stop doing that. You go there. You go to Bible study, man. You Bible study? You sit there for an hour and a half, an hour and talk about the Bible? You go down there and help them give out food on the Saturday? Come on, man. That's just too much time for the Lord. You, you crazy. You, you, you crazy, man. You know. Now, see, y'all are brought up in a different generation. I brought up in the generation where we was almost, when I first got saved, we was almost in church every day. It was something going on in the church almost every night. When I was overseas and we was in Mississippi, you know, the kids were doing something on one night, the choir was doing something on this night, there was Bible study on this night, there was prayer meetings on Friday night. I mean, you could almost be in the church all seven days, you know. But nowadays, that dog don't hunt no more. A lot of things that we used to do because, you know, when we was overseas, we didn't have 24-hour Walmart and all that stuff keeps still open. We didn't have, you know, internet. We could, it, the TV went off. I mean, it went off. <laughs> that, you know, when I was coming to TV, some of y'all don't even know that the TV used to go off at midnight, sign off, boom. Because they, they believe that you got to give God some time. You got to go to sleep, get you some rest, and, and all that. But now... You can be up all night, benching. And what happens is when all those things come in our life, those things can distract us, and we get hooked on those things and don't realize that we're no longer walking as close to God as we should. Nothing wrong with any of that, but what happens is sometimes when they come in our life and they subtly get there, it can cause us to start not studying, not praying, not doing the things that we used to do, that would keep us strong and keep us walking like God want us to walk. So look at this. He says, if it seems we are crazy. <laughs> Paul, you know, he had got the beat down, talking about press down last week, and, you know, he was still giving God the glory. He said, if it seems like we're crazy, it is to bring glory to today that dog just don't hunt that much. I don't believe that there are many pastors out there or many believers who will go through what Paul went through to get the gospel out. I believe I would try to get up and stand up and teach it and preach it, but I ain't sure I'll go somewhere and let them beat me down to preach the gospel. I mean, the Lord gonna really have to speak to my heart in a whole different way. I, 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 just, I, I, I just don't feel like I got that kind of burden on me that I would, I would go get persecuted like that, stoned, left for dead. It's nice to be in America where we are allowed to worship freely. 
And it's easy for me to stand up here and say, oh, I got the faith, I can do this. But I'm not in China where they got to have church underground. And if they get caught, they can be put to death in some of these countries around the world. So it's a whole different attitude when we're here in America and we don't have to worry about because we have this freedom of religion. So we ought to be the country that is really taking advantage of this because we can express ourselves freely. Freely. Now, certain jobs you can't go in and talk about it, but what I'm trying to say, like I heard you say, Major, you're wearing your shirt. So when someone asks you what does strengthened faith mean, or what does that say? Something about faith? Stronger faith? When someone asks you what that means, then I open the door. You finna get the gospel message now. So, you know, some of us, maybe, you know, maybe if your job will let you, you ought to wear a Christian T-shirt. And when someone asks you about it, then you, you can preach. Because they asked the question. Brother Herb, go ahead. But, I, you know, one of the things that I can say is one of the things that you say that we should live in the life knowing that, uh, like I mentioned before, that God is with you. Each and every day is required for us to be able to uh, have an intimate relationship with God. And when I say daily to a point where you will get an excitement if you understand how to listen to God and how you speak to God. And then all because Jesus Christ gave us an opportunity to go within the, into the Lord, now we go to the throne and find out what that assignment is. And once you get the assignment, he will take you wherever or he lead you where you need to go. And if he's going to lead you somewhere you need to go, there is that faith and trust that you know that God's going to protect you wherever you go. Wherever you go to the enemy, wherever you, if he said go, and if you know that God's sending you, he's going to equip you. He's going to protect you. And that's when that boldness, and I could say for, now looking at, looking at Paul, he had a zeal for, for God in, 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 in his assignment as he was going out to track down the Christians. So he had a zeal for, for that type of assignment. So I don't think he had, you know, when he, now he turned over, he had the same zeal and assignment what God called him to do. Amen. For, for Paul. Amen. But I'm just saying that pastor, that when you're saying, you know, going here and going there, that might not be my calling. That might not equip me to go. But if I'm hearing God telling me go somewhere, then I know that he's going to be with me. He got my back. Amen. So that's why he says, look at this. Go back to that. If it seems we are crazy, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds, you know, it is for your benefit. So he's saying, now look, I want to do what God called me to do. And if I do it in an extreme manner, you may think I'm crazy. But if I'm not crazy and I'm still doing it, you benefit by me doing it anyway. And so what Paul was trying to get him to see, and like Brother Herbert say, these guys had to operate under a, a different time than what we're living in now here in America. 
But at the same time, I can take that and say that some people, I know ministers who have walked away and stopped what they was doing and say, God called me to preach. And they walked away from a job and just started preaching in faith. Some of them did well. Some of them may say, hey, maybe I didn't hear God. But if they believe that God told them, and I'm telling anybody, if you know you're in communication with God and his spirit is speaking to you, and you feel in your heart's heart that God is talking to you, then you are obligated to take that step of faith. If you feel like God is speaking to you. But, but what happens so often, because we don't spend that time, like Brother Herb talked about, in prayer, in meditation with God, people can speak things into you that God ain't put in you. And so therefore, sometimes we are acting when someone think they see something in us, and then all of a sudden now we get out there and when it don't go, you say, well, God let me down. Well, no, maybe God didn't tell you that. That's why one of the things I never try to do is speak whether or not God didn't call you to do this, to be a preacher, or be that, the other, because I believe your gift will make room for you, and if God called you to do it, you're going to figure out a way to do it versus me telling you that, and then all of a sudden if it don't work, then it's like, okay, well, you call me. No, God's the one that got to call you. Because if he call you, the Bible says he'll equip you. Put you in the place, put you in place where you need to know to do what he's called you to do. Now, I don't have a problem if someone can see something. I tease Major all the time. Major, man, you studying this word hard, man. You, you know, you really done stepped up your game and studied. Hey, man, you know, maybe that's something bigger. But that's going to be up to Major. I ain't going to say, Major, I believe God done called you to preach, man. But maybe you got something bigger. I don't know what it is. But I can tell by certain people when they have a certain zeal for the Lord, that burning get on the inside of them, and then once that burning get on the inside of them, sooner or later they do that step of faith and, and do what God's calling them to do. But everybody is different. We're not cookie cutters. Be, it'll be one thing we were all, like Paul, crazy, <laughs> but, but some people need a sensible approach. They, they, they go, it got to make logical sense to them. But what we got to understand is that if we trust God, we want to make sure that as long as we walk by faith and not by sight, then we trust God for the outcome. So look at verse 14. Again, he says, either way, whether you know you think I'm crazy or not, Christ's love controls us. In other words, I am motivated to do what I do because I know that Christ loved me enough to die for me. So it controls me, controls what we do. And he says, now look, since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. Now let's stop right there. He's saying, if we all believe that Jesus died, and he died for everybody, then now we got to take that same belief and believe that we have died our old life. Now, when passages like that come up in the Bible, you know, Jesus asked his disciples, I've read that, but now the question becomes, Finley, how do you interpret that? Because, or Jonelle, how do you interpret that? Or Herb, how do you interpret that? Because based upon how you interpret that is how you're going to see it applying it to your life and applying it to your life. So, let's talk about that. So, when you, when, if there's an old and a new, think about your life. What do you consider the old? 
Just think about it for a moment. And, and, and the Spirit of God will show you, no, you ain't, you ain't got to fool you. Don't fool you. You can fool up, but you can't fool yourself. You know you. You know you. You know old you. So don't get real spiritual with me right here. We're just trying to have a conversation because this is part of being the new you. Amen. You can't be free from the old you until you identify the fact that that was old. Because there may be some things you were doing to old you, you didn't see nothing wrong with it. I would say that the old me do not hang out in the street anymore, do not party anymore, do not club anymore. The new me, I hang out with the Lord. I spend time with the Lord. I have a relationship with the Lord. I'm saved now. I no longer desire the old me, the old things. Okay. And, and now, uh, and let me say this. Most of the time, that transition process we go through, the Lord would take certain things from our life. And I used to be, you know, I was that guy, you know. I, I, I used to like to hang out. That was just my forte. I just liked the weekends, you know. And all the guys I hung out with, we liked party. We liked shutting down the club back in the day. I don't even know they go to clubs now, you know, guest clubs. Yeah. But, I mean, we shut them down. I mean, we, we got there early and we stayed late. They had to kick us out. So we, that was what we did on the weekend, every weekend. So when I got saved, I didn't just wake up one Saturday morning hating the club. I mean, I didn't wake up and say, well, I'm done with the club. Now. No, no. It just, I'm going I'm to I'm I'm be at church on Sunday, but I'm going to still do what I do on Friday and Saturday. Because uh -huh. the old be, me. I would not be here Wednesday because I'm going to be out at the base because you was having a direct Sunday. See, you know, there were times where Wednesday was the start of the entire weekend, so you didn't wait until. And it's a thing that Everybody has something in their own lives because this is the thing that we still battle today. Amen. Flesh that we had that we're trying to put down. But that's why we're here to try to build up the spirit to be able to have something to war against it. Amen. And now let me, let me say, clubbing was, when, when the Lord took clubbing from me, he did it for a reason because that was a stronghold. That was something I enjoyed doing. Clubbing and gambling. Those were two things I really like doing. So, so I'm not going to sit here now that I'm delivered and free and say that clubbing in and of itself is not necessarily wrong. You know, but if, if it's controlling you and it's taking and consuming your time, your energy, your resources, then you may want to look at that and see if the Holy Spirit takes a cut back on it to wean you off of it. Some people are going to take it from them. Some people are going to wean it off of them. Some folk gonna just club in church to the end. I mean, that's just the way it is. Some people are just gonna club in church to the end. They're gonna do, they're gonna, and I can't tell them that going to club on Friday is a sin. Cause it's not, I can't find the Bible that going to club on Friday is a sin. But if it's robbing you, but, but I'm just, let me finish it. I understand what I'm saying. And so what I'm trying to say, I have to be careful that my personal conviction because someone else don't share it, that I get to the point where I think that they're wrong. Like, I, like right now, I don't play the lotto or anything like that, okay? Bingo, nothing. Because that was my personal conviction that, man, when the Lord delivered me from gambling, I ain't gambling on nothing. Lotto, bingo, nothing. No, no games of chance. But for me to tell someone else that that's a sin, then that's going to start an argument that I don't need to have when it comes to 
our relationship with Jesus Christ. I know churches that go to Vegas for conventions for a reason. They go out there to talk about the Lord's business, but they also go out there to, to gamble. Amen? I mean, and, and so what I'm trying to get, get you to see is that make a distinction between what is your personal conviction that the Lord didn't tell Because for you to continue to do something that the Lord told you not to do, and that's a personal conviction, is sin to you. But if someone else decides to keep eating meat, Major, and you know the Lord done told you not to, then because I continue to eat meat, you can't say I'm sinning because he didn't tell me not to eat meat. He told me not to eat too much, but he didn't tell me not to eat it. And so what we have to understand is that as we grow in the spirit, that's where we go back to where we started beginning, as the spirit of the Lord started ministering to you on the inside, he would take some of those things away from you. That, that, that you, your, your conscience will start to let you know, hey, this no longer line up with who the Lord wants me to be. And so, and I think for everybody that is different. Brother Anthony, did I see your hand? I saw somebody. Okay, Jessica, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, like, I don't know, kind of with you on the same thing, everybody has their personal things, because I, I like going to the club every once in a while, because it's something, you know what I'm saying, I got friends that still go there, and you know what I'm saying, that might be an opportunity for me to talk to them after, like, you know what I'm saying? How is this going and stuff like that? And they open the conversation up. And I mean, I, I enjoy going. Like, I'm not going to lie. Um, Amen. My, thing, my old thing is probably like, I, I do like to eat. Like, and so I, I eat. I, I mean, I'm going to eat good, but I don't eat as good as I was eating before. <laughs> That's all I was <laughs> <laughs> Might have a Chick-fil-A, you know what I'm saying, once or twice a week. You know what I'm saying? But uh, I think it's just, like you said, it's everybody is different. So I, I, we have to be careful of, like, Amen. Anybody else go to ask? Okay, let me read on. Let me read on. We're going we're gonna to have further discussion. So now look, he it's says. It's just your own personal relationship. As Pastor said, your, your own personal relationship with Christ. You know, you establish that relationship with Christ. And as, you know, God, as you establish that relationship with God, I mean, maybe he, he will convict you. You know, it's not for us to judge. Amen. Amen. So, look, in verse 15. So we talk about we've died to our old life. He says, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Okay, so in other words, that's talking about that transformation process, that change, uh, we're a new creation in Christ but all new creations start as babies. That's why the Bible talks about us being on milk and being on solid food and meat and stuff of that nature. And everybody grow differently. Everybody have different convictions. But at the same time, sin, the Bible is clear on what's sin. Okay, so when, when we're not talking about trying to justify some sin. What we're saying is that now, don't put something on someone that's not necessarily a sin. Like uh, when I stopped clubbing, I stopped dancing. You know, it was hard to get me to dance at my daughter's wedding when she wanted me to get me to dance with my daughter. I just stopped dancing. I never was a good dancer anyway. I just stopped dancing. But for that one time, the dance with her at her wedding, well, at two of them, I'm dancing at two weddings now. Okay? And 
I didn't feel convicted, but I can tell by some of the people that was there was shocked to see me, <laughs> to see me get up. They didn't think I had a move left in me, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I, so I had to do it, you know what I mean? Because I could, I could see them do it a little bit, but, 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 but that didn't make me want to go back and start dancing every weekend. You see what I'm saying? Go back to that. But, but for that occasion, I danced. At first, I was kind of, man, I got to do this. Yeah, you got to do this. Okay. God, it ain't a sin, so I'm going to do it. And so sometimes what we have to know is, is, again, I just like to share my testimony so that people can know that, hey, and and I'll be honest with you, when when I first started ministry, I, I did want everybody to be like me. I wanted everybody to stop drinking when I stopped drinking. When I say when I made my confession, I ain't drinking no more, and I wrote it in my Bible, and it took me a couple years to get delivered from alcohol and all that, I wanted everybody to be non-alcoholic. I wanted everybody to go to dinner and just ask for iced tea and lemonade or something like that. But everybody didn't think like me. And I, I'll never forget this, again, a personal testimony. We were at the Olive Garden. I'll never forget this. I went to dinner with some young folk at Olive Garden. And in Olive Garden, you know they're going to ask you, do you want some wine right off the bat? Before they even give you bread and anything, you want some wine. And them young rascals accepted that wine right there in front of me. And I almost passed out. I said, I can't believe, I can't believe they're going to drink wine right here in front of me. Man, that thing hurt me. But, but, I, but again, they didn't get drunk. They were just accustomed to having wine with that dinner. Because I was dogmatic at that time, man, I had a problem with that. And they could, they could tell by the look on my face, I already jet, I already living, going to get out of here, man. I ain't finna sit here with the heathens, man, drink no wine. Everybody going to think I'm drinking wine, too. But I, I know I can't be dogmatic on areas that I have been delivered from. And then now, in other areas, because I'm still dealing with this over here, I don't look at that as hard as I look at something that God didn't deliver me from. And that's what we have a tendency to do. We have a tendency to look harder at people who are doing what things that we have done before instead of looking at where we are now and see some of the work that we still got to do that's in front of us. But it's a process, and everybody grows differently. And so the Lord and the Spirit will speak to your heart, man. I'm telling you, if you trust him, that spirit that God put on the inside of you will allow you uh, to live in a way that's pleasing to God, and he will lead you and guide you in a way of truth. So look at this. Let me, I want to finish this up. He said, now look. He says in verse 16, so we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Now, Paul was talking about, hey, man, I, when I was a Pharisee, I had a point of view about Jesus that was not right. But now that I have met him, I've had that encounter with him, my life has changed, so now I no longer evaluate him based upon what I knew before because I had an experience. And the Jewish system that I was in was not teaching me everything that I need to know about him in truth. And so therefore, I got this revelation now, now I got a better relationship with him, and then now because of that relationship, my life changed to try to conform to him. 
to be more like him. And that's why we say in church, our goal is to grow and mature and be like him. Not like anybody else, but to try to be like Jesus. He is the example. He's the one we look up to. He is the standard. So we got to look at things not from a human point of view because the things that we see in the natural, they're going to pass away. But we got to know that we're differently because we know him now. He said, now look, verse 17, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone, that's you, me, all of us, has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. The old life just kind of went dormant. It ain't leave you. It didn't. The new life has begun, and when it begins, it don't start off grown. It's, fight, it's fighting a grown, some grown on the inside of you. Grown. That's been there for 25, 30 years. And now this new you coming up out in the midst of that grownness, it got to catch up. And if you don't feed the new you the spirit, uh, the, of God's word, then guess what? It's going to be an uphill battle to overcome the old you. That is not an easy battle. That's why Paul said, you know, one place in the Bible said, man, the things that I should do, I don't do. I mean, he, he was conflicted himself. This dude wrote most of the New Testament. He said, you know, because I realize that no matter who I go, evil is right there with me. No matter where I go. No matter what you do, the opportunity for you to do evil will always be there. And so as we're growing and younger in the Lord, we, we make more mistakes than we do normally when we get older, even though there's some old folks that make mistakes too. Because, again, that war that goes on on the inside of us, Brother Herb, is going to go on forever. It would be nice if the Lord just filled us with the Spirit and the Spirit just drowned out. See, God... God gave us choice still, man. He, he, he gave us free will. And we can let our will override his will. Uh, I wanted to go back to that verse 16. Mm -hmm. um, from the standpoint of the human point of view versus uh, the Christ point of view. And so it's kind of like a question I have for you, Pastor, as far as a difference. Because um, a lot of times when you're trying to bring people into the church, they're viewing it from the human perspective versus the spiritual perspective. And so I know you're going over um, some things you kind of went through, the dancing and uh, gambling aspect and all that. So how would you kind of define those two viewpoints, you know, the differences between those two? The human point of view? Yeah, the human point of view and the Christ point the of view. The Christ point of view? Yes, sir. I, I, I would try to tell people because we have been indoctrinated to the human point of view from birth, and, and, and we don't have God's point of view or Christ's point of view to later. So therefore, when those two points of view clash, you're gonna have to rely on God's spirit and his word to overcome because some things that we did on the human side was not bad, was not necessarily bad. So like, say for instance, you can say, well, Finley will say, man, I, yeah, I used to club, but I wasn't out there all night. I wasn't, I wasn't turning the club. I wasn't nothing bad about that. I just went there for entertainment, relaxation, social, socializing with people. I didn't get drunk when I went to the club. I didn't go there, you know, chasing folk. I just went there to entertainment. And so now, as the Spirit of God said, okay, Finley, then now I want you to, the same amount of time that you put into that, I want you to put it into something 
that's going to glorify God. Then now how do I square that and say, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And that's why I try to tell people, and I hope I'm at least close to answering your question. Normally, the things that we were doing naturally, most of those things can be transitioned right over into the body of Christ. Your skill set, some of the things you do, the things that I was doing naturally. Say, for instance, and this is not a bad thing, but the Air Force taught me how to be a teacher. I didn't never think I was going to be an instructor. They sent me to school against my will. And that's the best thing they ever did. Taught me how to teach, write lesson plans, and all that stuff. I didn't want that. At that time, I didn't know that it was going to pay dividends later. I was fighting it, but it was making a down payment on what I'm doing now. And all the things that they taught me that I learned from their classes, I use right now to dissect and break that Bible down. The same principle that they taught me, all that. And so sometimes when we're trying to make that transition, there are some things that we're doing in that natural side that can come right on over into the kingdom with us. And we do it in a way to glorify God. But everybody is different. And when I did that, I thought I was getting all that training because in my mind, I loved, I loved football. I mean, I, I, I used to eat, sleep, drink football. I used to coach football overseas uh, in Germany. We had, you know, you could play tackle over there. I coached, and we were pretty good teams over there at Ramstein. And, you know, coaching football, you was almost like a celebrity over there because the commanders used to wage on the game, so you had to win, and, you, you know, you can walk into the commander's office anytime if you was a football coach. I love that. So in my mind, I'm coming back to the States, Finley, and I'm going to go ahead and get me a teaching certificate, and I'm going to be a football coach. Coach high school football and just preach on the side. But when we made the step to go into ministry like now, God took the taste of football right out of my mouth. And I had all these plays that I had done been writing down for years. Man, I had playbooks this thick for everything. And I'll never forget when I one day I said, okay, I ain't going to need these no more. I'm going to throw them all in the trash. And I gave up that desire for football. Now, everybody ain't going to do it like that. But for me to forgive up football, man, I thought that was going to be my, that's how I'm going out, coaching football. But all the skill sets that I used to use to coach football, Dealing with folk in the church, same thing. On a football team, you got superstars, you got stars, and you got some guys don't even deserve to be on the team. Amen. You got some guys who want to practice, some guys who don't. And there are some guys who are good enough that they didn't even need to practice, and they could be better than most of the players on the team, but I had to make them guys practice because they, they did not want to so those attitudes of how to get people to deal with one another, it's the same thing in the church. You got some people who just bona fide superstars. They can just do what they do. And so they don't need a whole lot. But then on the other side, you got some people that need a little bit more coaching, a little bit different attitude, stuff like that. So there were a lot of things that the Lord allowed me to do before I got to doing this that I look back at it now and say, wow, God may have already known that I was going to end up doing this. When I'm thinking it's going to be a football gig, you know, and just preaching at my dad's church, being an associate minister there, teaching Bible study, and coaching football all during the week and going to school, teaching. That was my plan. 
And so sometimes God can redirect us. And when he does that, then we got to have the faith to, to do what he's calling us to do. And so it's different for everybody, family. And, and, I, and I wish I had an a, a easy answer. All, all of us going to transition and make that connect in the world versus this. Because right now, there are so many world views out there now that come against what we've been taught in the Bible. And because the, the avenues and, and the means to get access to all that information is so easy, young people today have a different challenge than I had. When, when, when I was coming up and being challenged, it wasn't on no internet. You had to really go and look for stuff that you really wanted to do. That was kind of, now, just a keystroke, man, you there, bam, there it is. Webster Dictionary trying to tell you everything, yeah. So, so he's saying now, we, after we understand these point of view, he says this. This means that, verse 17, that anybody who belongs to Christ has become a new Christian. Old life is gone, a new life has begun. Now look at this. And all of this is a gift from God. So we had nothing to do with being changed and being transformed. God did it all because that was his plan and when, we, when he brought us back to himself. Well, look at this. Who brought us back to himself through Christ and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now I tell all of you, whether you believe it or not, you have a ministry. And I think I'm gonna preach the next series, I'm gonna be on this. You have a ministry, and, and, and your ministry is the ministry of reconciliation. You have to be able to tell people how God reconciled you back to himself. And because of that, that's your ministry to go and tell others that hey, if God will make up with me, and stop fighting with me by accepting Jesus, no matter what you've done, you can be reconciled back to God. And that's something that anybody who is saved can operate in that ministry of reconciliation. He says, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. It's our job to go get others, to let them know that, hey, you can't win that battle by yourself. Jesus has already done the work. All you got to do is accept what he has done. Then by doing that, that's why the next verse two, he then called us ambassadors. Because now, being ministers of reconciliation gives us the authority to go out and represent him in the earth. So that's why the Bible called us ambassadors. Now look at this. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them, and he gave this wonderful ministry, this message of, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So us have this message of reconciliation. And, that, and you know, I got that revelation, I'll never forget it. I was in Germany, and I was sitting at the table studying, and a, another minister came over. And when we read that scripture together, it said, wow, we all have a ministry. And we can tell people how God reconciled us back to him by telling them what we were doing. And he, in reconciliation, they said, hey, you know, it's kind of like people who marry, go through some change, and they say, we, can, we don't reconcile. People get upset with each other. They say, we have reconciled. We put our differences aside. So God is saying, look, all that stuff you were doing before, I don't reconcile that with Jesus. So when I look at you, I'm no longer mad at you. I'm no longer at war with you. We're no longer fighting each other. 
And he's saying, all of us got that story. All of us got that message. The message of reconciliation. Now look, then he calls us what? So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you, Finley. He said, you my spokesman. That, and, that, and he used legal term there. When you make an appeal on someone's behalf, he's saying, you are my lawyer and you'll represent me before the world and it's your job to plead this ministry of reconciliation to let other people know that, look here, Jesus died for them. And they can be reconciled back to God because of him. So he appealed through us. He don't use angels, Brother Anthony. He used us. And we speak for Christ as we plead in the simple message is, come back to God. Man, you would think you need to go to seminary to get something like that. Y'all just got that for free, sitting right in here. You got a message that you can walk out of here with when you're talking to somebody. Simple as that. The Lord love you, come back to God. There's going to be some people that will hear that and receive it, but that's okay. For those who may receive, hear it and don't receive it. But that don't change the fact that you got the message. Simple as that. Come back to God. Because God didn't leave us. We left him. So all we have to do is return and come back. Look here. Verse 21, we're done. He says, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. In other words, he atoned us the sacrifice for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So now that put us in that righteous category. I'm not righteous because of any work that I've done. I'm in the right standing with God because of what Jesus did. And so therefore I live out trying to be righteous and trying to be holy and trying to be like God wants me to be because now I'm not doing that to get saved. I'm doing that because I am saved. I try to live right. Try to do the right thing. Try to stay within God's will. And again, all of those things that I'm talking about here, I guarantee you it impacts each one of y'all differently. Because God didn't make us cookie-cutter Christians. It would have been nice if we, we were all the same, we'd grow it the same way. Right? But even, how many of you got multiple brothers and sisters? How many of you come from a pretty big family? Got five or six? brothers, something like that, pretty good-sized family. I guarantee you, when you look at your brother, all y'all came from, may come from the same set of parents, but y'all ain't cookie-cutter. It'd be nice they say, man, we're going to go by the standard that we use for Finley because he's going to be the same way as it's the next one, the next one. No, they're going to all be different. And so we got to understand when we come to the Lord, even though we had the same spirit on the inside of us, God realized that we're all different in our own way. And so because of those things that make us different, God know how to look beyond that and say, okay, I can work with Major this way and I can work with Bolden this way or Herb this way or Finley this way because they're different. And so when we understand our differences, we have the same goal, then I won't be so hard on Major because he's still my brother, you know. I won't be so hard on Sister Purdue because he's still my sister. We're still in the same family, but we're just growing differently. And, and, and I think that's what's so important as you represent the Lord and earth. But you first got to see yourself as an ambassador. We take orders from another source. 
and we do our best to follow those orders. Amen? Amen. Any questions, any comments before we get ready to close out? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So um, what I was saying is that in verse 16, it's talking about um, from, a, from the human point of view perspective mm -hmm. and also from the Christ-like perspective. And so uh, I kind of introduced the question. I was saying what you're saying, Lise, uh, Miss, uh, and so essentially saying, hey, the, there seems to be a, a large, I won't say issue, but now that's a large uh, thing going on. You know, um, the, a person who's not say they think from that uh, worldly perspective, human perspective, and you know, and from your own self to say perspective, if you're already saved, you think in a different lens. You know, you got a different prescription of glasses on. You know what I mean? And so I was just asking Pastor, what are those two differences between the two? Because you may be seen in one way as a saved person, you know, versus burning the worldly. Amen. And, and, that's, and that's exactly uh, a true statement. Because again, a saved person who uh, will read and understand God's word, they will get a different understanding than a person who is not saved and going to read it from a worldly standpoint. Because a, a person reading about certain things, a, a good example, is how the world point of view don't define sin the same way God does. And so therefore, when I come to God, my world point of view is that, hey, I did that in the world, and nobody said it was wrong, but now I come to God, and he said, hey, that's wrong. Then now I got to see how do I line up my view, my natural viewpoint now, I got to bring it in alignment with what God's viewpoint is. And, and that's that transformation process they have to take place in all of us. And I just wish that, you know, God know what he's doing, but it looked like, you know, he could have made it easy if he didn't give us a choice. You know, if I was doing this thing, how God said, maybe you ain't got a choice. You're going to be saved, and that's it. But God give us a choice, and, we, and that choice allows us to override God's will for our life. Not going to send an angel down and tie you up and make you do something that he's speaking to your heart. You're going to have to walk in obedience. Amen? All right, let's got a couple.